0: Is sponsored by Benjamin Moore and Sherwin Williams.
1: Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast. The show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, we host guest Ray Rani. Ray is the founder and owner of Paint Track Painting Services, a residential painting company based in Westchester County, New York, that currently does over $1.1 million in annual revenue. Ray has made big improvements to his company in recent years that have resulted in a much more efficient business model, and he shares how other painting company owners can improve their own profitability. He discusses some major shifts happening in the painting industry today and why entrepreneurial business owners should be excited about them. Ray also discusses why he charges for his estimates and how that has been instrumental in his company's success. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Ray, thank you for coming on the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Brandon.
1: Absolutely. So, talk to us a little bit about Paint Track Painting Services.
2: So, um, I started Paint Track Painting Services in 2004 after um, I had worked in a um, IT field for a few years out of college, and um, after September 11 like January 2002, I had lost my job and I was trying to land another uh, programming job, which uh, it was very hard to get that time. So I started uh, calling some of my old customers that I had worked for during the college years. And one thing led to another and I got really busy in that summer and hired a couple of helpers. And I was working in the field and we started with some major new constructions at the time. Like I'm talking about 10 12,000 square foot uh, new mm-hmm. constructions. And that's how I started my painting business basically.
1: Wow. So are, are you guys, what kind of work do you do now? Are you residential, commercial, new construction, repaint? What do you guys focus on?
2: We are focusing pretty much like 99% residential repaint. I mean, we do very little uh, commercial and, uh, and uh, new constructions.
1: Awesome. What's your employee model? You guys uh, subcontract or W2?
2: So it's W2, it's been all uh, W2 up until last year. For the first time last year, we started working with two small uh, subcontractors and we are kind of like going after that a little bit this year, going after it a little more than last year. And we're hoping to do some more subcontracting.
1: Excellent. And what is your projected revenue if you don't mind sharing this year 2022? About 1.1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1.1. Nice. Um All right, excellent. So you and I were chatting a little bit Ray before we started recording here about topics that you felt were important. You know, you've listened to a few of the episodes and I asked what you wanted to convey and you really wanted to focus on profitability. Can we can we dive into that?
2: So, um... There are some industry benchmarks as far as um, how much a painter in the field should produce per year. There are numbers from 100,000 to 140 or 150,000 sometimes. I would uh, think that uh, I would want a production on the upper end of that spectrum. Like sometimes somewhere around 130 to 150,000 would be really a sweet spot and a very profitable operation. uh, we have, as I said, we have always had W2 employees and if you have some sort of a profit sharing system in place where all your employees are buying into it, um, you could really produce that kind of that kind of numbers. So um, one thing that we need to focus on is to provide a great service and also be profitable and make money at the end. I mean, after all, that's all. That's what we are in business for. Uh, we can't really get so obsessed with that big number, the big revenue number, whether it's 5 million or 2 million. I mean, obviously if I'm going to do 5 million in revenue and make the same, same profit as I can make in with 2 million, I would rather have less headache and do 2 million and make the same profit. So that's where my focus is. I mean, uh, it's great to have a big op- operation and be able to service everyone who calls um, but um, it's also good to be selective and have less headache.
1: I love that. So you're you're focused on running a tight ship?
2: Really tight ship, yeah.
1: Yeah. Is when you do residential repaints, is there a specific demographic you're targeting?
2: So our clientele are, you know, they own an average home between 700 to a million and a half in this area. Um, They're really like people who care for, getting a good service and a good experience um, they want to trust people that they work with um, and they don't they need some hand holding but it's usually um, they're willing to pay the top price for that experience
1: sure so okay this is good you're giving me a lot to work with here right so you, you focus on, on the profitability. I want to take a step back. There are a couple of things you've talked about that I want to dive into. Um, let's kind of go sequentially here. You said a profit sharing program gets your employees bought in. Can you speak to that? So we
2: have a profit sharing plan in place where we basically uh, estimate all our projects like everybody does based on a set number of hours. And if we can, if the crew can finish these projects within that set number of hours or bring it on there without cutting any corners, the leftover time would go back to the crew uh, as bonuses at the end of the quarter. I love that. So, yeah. So what that does for us is basically the crew is motivated to get the job done on time and without callbacks, but we are able to produce more with less manpower. So it frees us our schedule so we could jump to the next project basically.
1: Okay, so, can, so, so if they complete the project early, basically they still get paid for the same number of hours, it comes as quarterly bonuses. Now, what happens if it runs over? Do, exactly. they, do they lose some of that?
2: Exactly, so they lose from whatever they have accumulated for that quarter.
1: I see. So this is a way that, that you guys can basically be confident that you're maintaining the profit margin you want on your jobs. That's right. Okay. So what, what are those profit margins that you're aiming for with your projects?
2: So we are aiming for 50, 50% gross margin mm-hmm. and 15% net at the end.
1: And what's, do you mind sharing the split? You know, when you have 50% cost of sales, what's your split there generally between labor and materials?
2: Um, Labor and materials, I think labor is about 35% and material is about 8, 10%, or maybe labor is a little bit more.
1: Got it. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. So. You, you know, you you motivate your employees, uh, you make them, you give them kind of an opportunity to make more money if they're more efficient, uh, which is good. Now, you said that you have crafted this niche for yourself, basically, because that's pretty high end homeowner, you know, 700, 750,000, 1.5 million, and, and you're selective in who you serve, and you serve homeowners that are willing to pay top price for the experience Talk to me about the experience. What are you providing them that they're paying top price for?
2: So um, first of all, when we, when we get a phone call, we heavily pre-qualify these clients just to see if they kind of share the same core values as we do. I mean, our core values are honesty, uh, respect, and knowledge. So when we get a phone call, we want to make sure that the customer who we're going to serve does care for those core values, and if they do, then we take it one one step further and we talk to them about their project. And then um, we also we also charge a small fee of between seventy five to two hundred dollars for consultation and estimate, which kind of like um, gets rid of some of those tire kickers, so to speak. Yep. And so by the time we show up to the project you know, they are, they know that they're talking to somebody who is an expert in this field. And we tell them about our crew and how we're going to do this project. And then by the time the crew shows up, um, you know, they put them completely at ease. And within an hour after we start the project, they trust the crew. They see how we operate and how we care about setting up, covering up the questions that the crew asks the homeowners. It really puts them at ease. And then from there on, it's really a, an easy process.
1: Got it. So, what we would call that with marketing would be kind of a, the onboard process. But basically, your initial interactions with the customer are such that you're asking a, a lot of questions. You're making sure that you're covering all their concerns so that they feel taken care of. You're, you're not just, oh, you want this painted? Okay, great. We'll we'll take care of it for you. It's a lot more thorough than that. And
2: that's that right.
1: Way. Okay, and I love this. Um, you know, most most companies, obviously not all, but most companies provide free estimates you don't now do you when you charge that 75 to 200 fee do you apply that to the project or is that just a separate expense yes it
2: does come out of the final invoice if they decide to go with us if no we're covered for the couple of hours that we spend with them
1: sure what do you what do you see i guess when you express to prospective customers that there is that fee for the initial estimate Do you see a lot of slippage there? Do you see a lot of customers ultimately not want the estimate then?
2: I mean, there is definitely some slippage, but honestly, I feel like for the most part, they're the customers that we probably don't want to work with because the moment you bring that up, sometimes the tone of voice changes like, oh no, I'm getting another four estimates for free. I'm not paying for estimate. So right there, I know that even if we would land this job, the process might not be as easy as the customers that we really target to, to, to serve. Uh, whereas if they're willing to pay, they're like, oh, sure, sounds good. I mean, and, and the key is to tell them that right away in one short and sweet sentence that there is a $120 consultation and estimate fee that comes out of the final invoice and just wait for them to respond. <clears throat> and most often, Um, if they already know that they want to get an estimate and they want to talk to you and they they've heard about you, they agree to for paying that fee.
1: Yeah. I love that. I think that's a, it's a powerful play. And I think it already positions you such, you know, in the customer's mind, it differentiates you in a way, I think, because every other company is not charging that.
2: Exactly. So, I mean, if that's the only way I can differentiate our company from the others, let it be.
1: Yeah, Yeah. when you go out, they, you know, I I would think in the back of their mind, they're already thinking, well, this company's probably superior. They must be because they're charging me and and the other companies are doing it for free.
2: Right. That's one thing. But also, when you interact with customers on that sales meeting, um, they treat you differently if you're charging for the estimate. They respect you more. And respect is one of our core values. I mean, um, I had a case maybe a year and a half ago where somebody had called and, um, you know, they said that they were referred by another existing client of ours. So I told them about the fee, but I said, I'm going to waive the fee since since this is a recommendation and I'll come and see you. So I showed up at 10 o'clock in the morning and I rang the bell, the husband opens the door and he was very dismissive. I'm like, I'm here to meet with your wife to talk about the exterior painting. And he's like, i'll let her know you're here and he just slams the door and goes in so i waited there for about eight minutes left the driveway and then i get a call from the office then they said oh such and such called and said that she just missed you if you could go back i said i'm not going back so two months down the road the same customer calls and she does not say that she had called and we had an appointment two months ago two months ago so i didn't bring it up i went through the same script and got to point that I said there is $120 consultation fee. She agreed to it. I went there. The next time I went there and showed up at their house, both husband and wife, they walked out with a smile on their face. They shook my hand. We walked around. They were very receptive. They were listening to everything that I said. We signed a contract and did the project. So I was wow. like, okay, this, this really makes sense. Now from there on, I was like, we got to be really so focused and just charge for the estimates especially on new customers. I mean, I don't, we don't do it on existing customers. Once they've done a project with us, they know us and we do not charge for them. But ex- any, any new leads that comes through internet, uh, we definitely want to charge
1: them. Wow. What a, what a case study, right? right? Same people, two months apart, huge difference. So you, you started this, you know, this company has been around for a long time. what, prompted you to start charging for the estimates. When did you start doing that?
2: I think it was the frustration. It was a lot of frustration of like just going around and estimating jobs, educating people about their projects and what they need to do and whatnot, and not getting back me back to me with any feedbacks. I think that was the worst part. Like I felt like, you know, I spent a few hours meeting with you, writing up an estimate, telling you what products um, are best for this solution for for this project and giving them solution providing them with solutions and not hearing back and that was the time that I decided I really need to kind of differentiate our company from the rest and also cover ourselves for the time we spend with people
1: yeah but how are you getting the majority of your, of your leads right now most of the
2: leads are still uh through referrals mm-hmm. and existing customers um whether it's recommendations on facebook uh, or not uh, it, it's just still mostly referrals
1: mostly referrals got it um, interesting so yeah coming coming from uh programming you know the, i don't think there are a lot of owners of painting companies and their background was in programming how do you feel that that has either helped or hurt or, or differentiated you in running a painting business
2: um I mean I, I can tell you stories again when when I was uh, when I was in college and um, I used to uh, paint at somebody's house that they had a seven years old house that they had built it from ground up and the lady had a file cabinet with a folder in there that was construction folder and there was a sub folder called painting folder so every time I went there to paint something she would pull this up and go to dining room and okay, here's the color of the wall and here's the finish and here's the product. So then I came up with the idea that I would create a database on my website Mm. and save all the colors and finishes and give customers a user ID and a password so they could log in and check the colors that we have used in in their homes. And that's how I came up with the name paint track for a company basically Mm. keeping track of colors and sheens and all that which i did but um, i sent an email to all my customers telling them that their user id is the first letter of their first name plus their last name and the password is 123456 and uh, they could yeah so but then that became Every week I would get calls from customers, Ray, I can't can't log into my account. What should I do? (laughs) So then we scrap that, but we still keep track of all the callers, all the activities, everything that happens in the field. It's actually a Trello app that we set up some cards and our field employees, it's basically a scope of work that our field field employees go through and they check as they go through it, but also we can refer to it down the road and see what colors you've used in people's homes. So the name still applies.
1: That's so funny. So you were, you were kind of setting up a software company there within your painting company.
2: Pretty much, early on. We are talking about like 2005, 2006 I had.
1: Yeah, and have you done any, have you tried anything like that since or, or been more kind of focused on the painting only?
2: It's been more focused on the painting, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, man. Um, What's your company doing the best with right now? What would you say you guys are just knocking it out of the park? You're, you're ultra confident in right now.
2: Kitchen cabinets and. Cedar and mahogany surfaces that nobody else wants to deal
1: with. Got it. So that's your, that's a sweet spot for you guys. Yeah. Now, is there anything, whether it's uh, fulfillment or whether it's something internal or marketing, is there anything that you guys are, are struggling with or, or anything you guys are working to overcome?
2: um we have had struggles with painters like we have hired painters in the past and we always had some sort of a trouble in the field where the jobs would not come on time and we changed our employee model from last year or year and a half ago after Nick Slavik uh, came to our area and he had a workshop about hiring help hiring and training apprentices mm-hmm. so we kind of uh, focused on that, and uh, four out of our five current employees have been with us for about a year or less. Awesome. So this is what we were able to do with unskilled apprentices who came on board, but they're really uh, good people. They're good human beings, as Nick Slavic calls it, and uh, we've been we've been able to produce more with these apprentices and one senior painter who's been with us for a long time than we have ever been able to do with six or seven painters.
1: Wow. So you, you guys actually hired people who then were not experienced in painting. You just hired right. for character. That's right. Interesting. And you had to let go of a lot of employees, it sounds like.
2: We had to let uh, a bunch of our painters go uh, about a year and a half ago.
1: And you did that as part of this transition, just knowing that they weren't meeting the standards. Exactly. So, what recommendations do you have for any painting company owners that are listening that, that think, yeah, man, maybe my my crews are not you know staffed with the right people right now. Did you give them an opportunity? Did did you how did you present that to them? What what's the process? Because that's a scary idea of well, I have seven painters, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and Get rid of them all and start with people who aren't painters. That's a scary thing.
2: Right. So what I would tell anybody out there um, is to first define your core values as your company or your personal core values. See what you stand for. And if anybody fits into that core values and into that culture, you want to keep them around. If they don't, then you need to kind of revisit this whole idea and look for people who fit into that culture. Um, And from there on, things are just going to work. I mean, it's amazing to see that people who barely could hold a brush within a month and a half, what they were able to do because they wanted to. Whereas we have painters who had the skills, but if if they didn't want to do it, there's no way you could make them do it
0: sure
1: where did you find the your current painters was it indeed or facebook or how did you go about that so we had in the past we had put
2: ads in craigslist and indeed but uh we were always looking for painters but this uh from a year ago or year and a half ago that we started this transition we posted um on indeed and we looked for people who were looking to start a new career so we got somebody who Worked in a grocery store somebody who worked at a restaurant someone who drove uber and and they've been our best hires
0: excellent
1: so i see you have a, a breakthrough academy shirt on there
2: yeah i wore my Breakthrough academy they, what, they, they what's going on. on
1: You are you a member of bca uh
2: i am a member of pca i'm a member of breakthrough academy for the past two three years and Uh, one of the main focuses of Breakthrough Academy is also profitability. I mean, you have your financial goals that you set in the beginning of the year and you want to kind of like work your way backwards and say, okay, this is my goal for the year, uh, a million one, and I want to see how much field hours I need to produce in order to make that happen and how many employees I need and um, when I need to start hiring and, and so on and so forth.
1: Sure. So what would you say at this point, you know, you you've been focused on running such a tight ship, what is your job role, what do you do on a day to day basis. So I have
2: a full time estimator uh, Sarah who's been with us for about two years, and I should give her credit for some of these changes, because she came with the college pro background and she was able to hire some new college students in the summer and do some painting works. And she's the one who uh, kind of brought it to my attention and uh, made me think about hiring people who uh, have no skill, but they have the right character. And uh, so she does, this, she does majority of the estimating. Last year, it was 70%. I did estimating and she did about 30%. This year, we have switched roles. She's gonna be doing 70% of the estimating. So I have about 30% of the estimates. I have been also... In and out of the field, half a day or one day, full days here and there, training these new employees. Um, I also build relationship with customers, and uh yeah, that's my role. And I, I am it. in the office working on systems, BTA systems that we have yeah. like for many years.
1: Kind of kind of the the working on rather than in the business, I guess, when you're doing that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, I asked because that's one of the you know, that's one of the struggles that painting company owners have as they're trying to grow. It's so difficult to know what you should be doing sometimes, you know, the temptation, if you have the painting background, the temptation is to hop in there and start painting, you know, get things done, go back, handle the touch-ups yourself, whatever it is, or if you're full-time estimator or sales, you know, just keep doing that. But at some point, depending on what your goals are, you kind of have to, to learn to step back from, from almost all these roles right. and really build the processes. Right. Well, do I mean,
2: you have I any oh go ahead i hadn't painted in the field for about 10 years but nice. honestly it doesn't it doesn't hurt if you know how to swing a brush and it doesn't hurt to be able to step in from time to time if you have to um, train some new people but as long as you know that that is not your role and it's just temporary you're going in to train some new people and hopefully you're going to train some uh, trainers so they can take over sure. that role and train the next you know new people that you're going to bring in
1: sure let's say you know obviously joining breakthrough academy is a is a great idea for a lot of people um you know they have a really great system there but if let's say that that a uh, painting company owner is maybe not in a position to do that or doesn't want to do it at this time and it feels like they're wearing too many hats what do you wh- where do they start how do they how do they kind of start delegating
2: i would say if they could just uh come up with a list of day-to-day activities and figure out how much time they spend with each one of those tasks and then work off of that list and figure out what they can delegate from that list. That would be the greatest start. And as soon as you have three or four employees in the field, I think if you're looking into growing, you should bring in some help. I mean, most people say for every five or six people in the field, you need one person in in the office. But I would say if you're looking to grow, let's start that process a little earlier. I mean, with three or four uh, employees in the field, you can afford uh, maybe an estimator or an office admin or somebody who can really uh, help you with some of the tasks and and the day-to-day stuff that you're doing.
1: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So you've built the business primarily. It sounds like on word of mouth. You know, people knowing you. You've been in that area for a long time. Are, are there any marketing strategies, a little more official marketing strategies that you've ever used or tried?
2: I mean, we tried some Google AdWords around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when things were really um, easy, and there wasn't a whole lot of people utilizing those services they were cheap by, that. by real prime prime keywords for like 60 those
1: are the glory days right
2: there right so we did we did uh, get a bunch of clients that time that they have become a lifetime clients and you know that that was the good start but then um we get a lot of uh calls from people who look on Facebook groups, Facebook mom groups, or mm-hmm. people who uh, we have about, I don't know, 100 reviews online, 100 Google reviews, uh, which people who search on Google and they see our reviews, um, we get calls from there. But it's mostly organic. We're, we're really, sure. our marketing budget is very, very limited.
1: Sure. So you you guys, do you do anything? I mean, it sounds like you don't, but I'll ask Some companies do. Do you guys do anything? in these groups, let's say these mom groups or these other local groups where you actually proactively will go in and market your services? Or is it these just, these are past customers really recommending you guys?
2: Yeah, I think you want your past customers to refer you. You don't want to get Mm -hmm. into those groups and promote yourself.
1: Right, Um, you could be in the mom group. You could be like, I'm not a mom, but I offer painting services. (laughs) Right,
2: I mean, you could. Yeah, you could. There There is a local group here that many painters are part of it. But I don't think it's it's good to promote yourself in those groups.
1: Yeah,
2: no, definitely.
1: So, um, that,
2: that's better. one thing. But yeah, uh, Sarah has been our estimator has been part of a very active BNI group, uh, okay. and we have generated some lead. We have generated some lead from that group uh, in the past year. Um, other than that, we are involved with like local chamber of commerce.s We go to their meetings and stuff. A few leads here and there from those. But, um, yeah,
1: so you guys are involved We're in the like community. You guys, you guys network with the other business owners and, and you do that long enough and it starts to pay, you know, some people, I think they go to a BNI meeting or chamber of commerce meeting and, and they walk away and they didn't get a bunch of new customers right away. And so then they think, oh, that's stupid. I'm never going to do that again. That, that's a long-term play, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, you know, as you've, you've been around for business has been around for a long time. What is what's a really big customer blunder you've made? What what's just a bad situation that you've been in, and how did you fix it?
2: A bad situation. Um, I think early on um, we were we were doing new construction, and we were working on a multi million dollars addition on a huge property in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. And, uh, we were on time and material and the project was just going on for, I think 15 months. And we were just tired of it. My guys were tired of it. Everybody wanted to get out. And, um, but the project manager who was running that project, he was on a monthly salary. And also he was getting a percentage of every subcontractor's bills. He had no interest in finishing that job. At some point, I think I had to literally just tell them, like, you know, I'm not continuing uh, with this project anymore. Um, Regardless of how perfect everything was and we were done, they were always making changes and, oh, let's change this and change that. And we just wanted to get out. So we walked off the job and uh, they said that they they weren't going to pay us for... Uh, I think it was a $20,000 bill for that uh, month that we had worked on. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was the only time we had to basically put a mechanics lien on a property in the past. Yeah. um, 16 years that we've been in business and, um, and then we eventually got paid for about 90% of uh, what they owned us, which was good. But that was around 2006 i believe and that was the time i decided i would not want to do new construction and i put my focus on doing a bedroom here and a the bathroom there and just a residential repaint and it really worked in our favor because by 2008 there was no new construction yep but by then we were in a very good position uh with our residential repaint
1: wow that was uh Pretty fortuitous timing there for your lesson. Exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like Ray, one of the things you do well is when something doesn't go well, you adjust. You kind of take it back. And if it doesn't go well with the customer, or that didn't go well with, you know, big new construction project, you'll go back and you're not, you know, just kind of kicking, kicking rocks. You're actually thinking about whether or not you need to make a change to your business model. It sounds like this has been a repetitive thing for you.
2: Definitely. Yeah. If you can't change, if you can't adopt. You're in the wrong business. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're in a business, y- you need to be adaptive. You need to change. You need to grow. Uh, if you feel like you're stagnant, your business is going to be stagnant. Yeah. yeah. So um, that has been a big part of my business and even myself. I mean, I'm always looking for new ideas. I'm looking to learn. Regardless of how good you think you have it, it might be great now. It might not be great next year. So right. as long as you're ahead of the curve and you're learning and you're educating yourself, you're able to adapt to different situations.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I've heard an uh, expression. There are no no business problems. There are people problems. And if whatever, whatever problems your business have, it's really an extension of a problem that you have. Very true. Yeah. That, that sense of extreme accountability, right. Extreme ownership. Um, sure. I love that. So I guess, how do, you, how do you see over, let's say the next 10 years, how do you see the painting industry changing or do you see it changing?
2: I, I really think that that change has already started. by okay. like many, many new people getting interested in the trades and um, rather than looking at themselves as some painters with a van and a brush and a few buckets, they're looking at it as a business opportunity. Uh, And that's very encouraging to see people getting involved with PCA, uh, a trade association. I think um, we all need a central hub as an industry uh, for somewhere to go and get educated and network and know what's going on in our industry. And that's very encouraging. Like this past Expo a month and a half ago in Florida, I saw many new faces. That um, I told some of the older friends that I have in at PCA that this is extremely encouraging. That we don't know many of these people. That means that the new generation is interested in the trade, and uh, hopefully they're going to set things up um, in a better way and uh, raise the bar in our industry.
1: Ray, you didn't come to my presentation at the PCA Expo. Just figure out. I just figure I'll, I'll call you out now that we're. Now that we're being recorded, you know a lot Uh, of people are listening. I I didn't see in the crowd. If it
2: was if it was eight o'clock in the morning, uh, it might have had something to do with the night before.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good some good nights there, right at the expo. Yeah, took me took me about a week and a half to recover from from the recover, right? But yeah, a lot of fun. Um, So you just talked about something pretty interesting. So I I went to like Nick Slavic Log went to his Ask a Painter live winter retreat about I guess a month ago and one of the things that we really focused on was this idea that painting as an industry kind of has a scarcity tends to have a scarcity mindset like like kind of a cutthroat you know don't don't want to share my secrets you know every every other painting company is my enemy um, mentality and you just said that oh you see all these people coming in you know kind of I guess, young guns or whatever, sort of focused on, on looking at it as a business opportunity, not a painter. And, and well, they, they're just going to paint houses. No, oh, this is a great business opportunity. And you were excited about that. But of yet, course. these are your competitors. So how, why are you excited about it?
2: Um, As long as my competitors are educated enough, and they are basically offering the same sort of service services, and they have the same sort of standards, and they kind of like, uh, uh, run the same type of business, most probably, if we're bidding on the same job, our prices are not going to vary so much. Mm. So this is like setting a level playing field, which is going to help all of us in the industry. I mean, I am a big proponent of getting in touch with my local competitors and getting together if we could on uh, uh, once a month or once every other month and talk shop i mean i have referred jobs to my competitors in the area and i have received referrals from my competitors i mean once you build that kind of trust with your competitors that means that's the greatest compliment any painting contractor can get to receive a referral from a from a fellow painting contractor and um, this is really great for us there's nothing to be afraid of
1: yeah yeah i love that yeah one of the things uh Jason, you know, Jason Paris really talks a lot about how, how much opportunity there is there and the scarcity mindset doesn't really make sense. When you sit down and you run the numbers, there are enough houses, there are enough new construction, there's enough of everything for every successful painting company owner to really succeed. The, the constraint is really with you. It's not because your competitors are taking all the business.
2: That's for sure.
1: Yeah. So you Very guys being, being based north of New York City, do you have any advice or tactics or strategies you found effective in, in combating winter slow season?
2: So one thing we do from right now, like early spring, okay. anytime we come across a, an interior project or kitchen project that they have been thinking about painting for three years and they have procrastinated, we say what it is to wait another eight months before you do that. So we you know, offer them a small discount, if like a 5% discount or if there is a whole project, uh, let's say a whole interior project that they wanna paint, we offer them if they could wait for the basement to be done in December or in January of the following year. And um, we are able to land at least a dozen or so projects that way from spring till the end of fall for winter. And then if you get a few more calls here and there uh, in winter, um, you're not gonna have a slow i mean this winter was crazy we had 46 leads in january which is just unheard of we didn't have to worry about it this year but in general that's what we do
1: yeah excellent and do you do you take any kind of down payment to lock that in or how do you handle that i mean again for the most
2: part if they have paid a fee or if they're existing customers no we do not collect down payment yeah
1: you, so they already know you and they've worked with you or you, you have 120 other hard-earned dollars and that's probably gonna be enough. If,
2: yeah, if they haven't worked with us, yeah, as long as they paid that fee, even if they cancel, that that's fine. We still have something to fill that uh, gap in the in the winter.
0: Sure,
1: got it. Um Ray, this this has been amazing. Do you have any other advice for other painting company owners listening? Any anything else that you'd like to say?
2: one thing that i want to emphasize again is sit down and define your core values your personal core values and they're probably a you know a reflection of what you want for your business and once you have that uh, set of core values defined you could make decisions based on that whether it's hiring whether it's firing whether it's changes that you're making to your business or Dealing with different customers, you could always refer to the set of core, core values and uh, make sure, you know, uh, being assured that you are going to make the right decision when it comes to that.
1: Love that. Yeah, there will always be unknowns that come up, right? No matter how much you prepare, if you have that that value system, you can kind of run it through that value system and, and, and be confident in whatever whatever course of action you take.
2: Very true.
1: Yeah. Ray, thank you so much for your time, brother. This was a, an amazing episode, very enlightening. Um, definitely a different perspective that you brought to the table here. I think your programming background got um, c- kind of help with that. But yeah, thank you for your time.
2: Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing!